Cause when all your dreams have fallen through And your plans come crashing in on you Don't lose hope no matter how it seems Cause faith will take you closer Faith will keep you safer. Faith will take you farther than your dream. Hey, good morning, church. So great to see y'all here in the Lord's house this morning. This beautiful day that the Lord has given us. Uh, as the praise man comes up, uh, we're going to be starting off this morning with one that we haven't done in a little while. It's called Lion in the Lamb. So if you would please stand with us. We'll go ahead and get started. Choir, please stand. He's coming on the clouds. Kings and kingdoms will bow down. And every chain will break as broken hearts prepare his praise. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. Every knee will bow before him. Our God. Our God is love. 
seated. All right, next will be hymn number 98, uh, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing like to pray for us, like to ask the Lord to bless our time together uh, in this worship service. So if you'll bow your heads with me, I will lead us to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are very grateful this morning as, as we gather together in this, this facility, First Baptist Church of Union City. Father, with our brothers and sisters, uh, we do so to worship you. Father, we do so to collectively bring our gift of worship. Uh, Father, you have been good to us personally, individually, uh, Father, we, have, we spend our days and our weeks uh, worshiping you uh, individually. And so, Father, on our Lord's Day, on this Sabbath day, we bring together our collective worship. Father, through song, through the, through the preaching of your word, and through the gifts of the tithes. Uh, Father, each is an expression of worship. And so, Father, I just pray that, that our worship is given to you from our hearts. Uh, Father, that it's, that it's given in faith. Uh, Father, so that you can be pleased. Uh, Father, we're grateful for all that you've done for our church. We're grateful for all that you've done for, for, the, for, the, for the family of the faith. Uh, and so, Father, as, as we just give a portion of that back to you, Father, we just pray that you receive it and it be blessed. Uh, Father, we thank you for the ongoing ministry of our church here. We thank you for those who have been called uh, to this covenant fellowship. Thank you for the giftedness that you've given to each one of our, our members uh, Father, it's, it's good to be able to serve alongside faithful brothers and sisters. And so, Father, I just pray that you guide our steps, that you continue to lead us. Father, that you continue to grow us in accordance to your will. Uh, Father, that, uh, that the ministry of First Baptist Church uh, can be edifying to the kingdom and be glorifying to your name. Father, as we, as we sing our songs this morning and we uh, preach your word, Father, we pray that all the distractions of the day, of the week, uh, Father, that they be absent from our worship. Father, that we can solely reflect on you and your goodness and your faithfulness to us, Father. Uh, that, we can, that we can solely commune with you, with you this morning in your spirit as he is among us. Father, bless us. Bless this hour of worship, uh, Father, as it is given to you. May it be glorifying uh, to your name. We pray all this now in Jesus' name. And amen. That saved the rich like me. 
Word of God this morning, uh, we go to our brother James, um, book of wisdom from the New Testament. Um, James, uh, according to our sermon series that we're going through about a temptation and overcoming temptation, James offers to us this bit of wisdom uh, concerning humility and how to submit ourselves to the Lord uh, despite the temptations of our day. James says this in chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. He says, therefore, Submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your heart, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning 
and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Despite the temptations and despite the, the, even the failure sometimes of our lives as Christians, we have the promise that God will lift us up if we humble ourselves according to his grace. Let the word of God be read this morning in the house of God. All right, we're going to be in our offertory hymn, Trust and Obey. It's hymn number 500. When we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory He sheds on our way. While we do His good will, He abides with us still, and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no Okay, so we're going to do one more song before our brother Ben comes up to bring the word. Um, it's called Holy Spirit. Um, not sure who all remembers this. We've done it once before, but it's been quite a while. So what we're going to do is we're going to sing it through the first time. Y'all just remain seated. And then we're just going to repeat verse and chorus again. Have y'all stand at that point. So just, just hang back for a second and just listen to the words and let your, let your spirit be filled with, with worship and with the Holy Spirit. Close 
no thing can compare. You're our living hope. Your presence. I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves, where my heart becomes clean. And my shame is undone. Your presence, Lord. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the of the Lord is what makes the difference. If, if the Lord is not among us, then, then we're just meeting in vain, and uh, the presence of the Lord is, is, um, is, what, is what makes the difference. He changes things, and we're going to look in the life of Joseph this morning of what that means. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and be turning with me in them to Genesis chapter 50. We're going to read verses 15 through 20. Now, Last week, we started this sermon series on overcoming temptation, and, and this week, or let me just stick with last week, last week we looked at the hope that comes despite temptation, and how 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, you know, look here, this is the reality. You're human, yes, you're redeemed, but the fact is you're still going to be tempted to sin. But God is faithful, and he won't allow us to be tempted beyond what we are able to bear, but with the temptation, we'll provide a way out so that we can endure it. 
I mean, that was the, that was the preface of last week's uh, sermon. Now, the, the, the sermon series, as we continue on, is going to follow the life of Joseph. Joseph today is, is a case study for us in temptation. Uh, not only what it looks like, but how to overcome by the grace of God. Now, I'm, I'm not... I, well, I am. I'll, I'll, be, I'll confess. I am one of those guys that, that when, when facing a story or in the middle of a story, I, I will go to the end of the book and find out what happened, and then I'll read back through it and that kind of thing. Anybody else like that? Or did that just, just drive everybody crazy? Because I'm sure there's going to be a committee meeting this afternoon to excommunicate me from the Southern Baptist Convention altogether. Maybe. I don't know. But I, I don't mind a spoiler alert. I'm just that kind of guy. Um, and in the case of Joseph... Uh, uh, Spoiler alert, we're going to the end of his life. And, to, and then we're going to backtrack through um, the temptations that he endured and, and, and how God, through the grace of God, allowed him to overcome those things. So let's stand together. Let's read God's word. Genesis chapter 50, last chapter of Genesis, verses 15 through 20. says this, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead... They said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph, saying, before your father died, he commanded, saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now, please forgive the trespass of the servants of God of your father, or of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. And then his brothers also went and fell down before his face. And they said, Behold, we are your servants. And Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Let's stop and let's pray. Father, we're grateful for this text this morning. Father, from this holy word, we read your words. So, Father, may these words uh, illuminate our understanding uh, concerning not just the the life of Joseph, but how he is a model for us to follow in many ways through temptation. Uh, Father, please bless the reading of your word now as it has been read in the assembling of your saints. May it be blessed forevermore. We pray this now in Jesus' name and amen. All right, go ahead and have a seat. So last week we started this sermon series. This week I want to use Joseph and kind of outline the rest of this sermon series and what it's going to look like. Because Joseph's life, especially in Scripture, provides a detailed account of specific temptation and how he was able to overcome them. Now these temptations are, are very common to man today. And Joseph's story is a case study in our text last week from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Nothing that Joseph faced is common to man, as that 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says. Nothing that Joseph faced was unique to him. But in, in Joseph's life, God was faithful. God provided a way out so that Joseph was blessed and was prospered by the faithfulness of the Lord to him. And these are true And these are true principles for any believer today who faces temptation. 
if, if we could summarize the life of Joseph and we could boil it all down, and we're going to strip it of its pieces and its parts this morning, but if we could do all of that, we'll find out that, that Joseph gives to us a great picture of the Lord's faithfulness to us during our times of temptation. Now, to begin, we have to, we have to identify who Joseph is. We have to talk about Joseph, uh, who he was. The Joseph, as, as one of the, the greatest characters in all of Scripture, uh, we have to know who he is in order to understand why or how he was important to God. Joseph, first of all, was the son of Jacob. Right? Now, on its face, that seems like, okay, he was the son of Jacob. He was uh, fortunate to have a father that was so faithful as he was. Joseph was one of Jacob's 12 sons. Uh, he was the son of Rachel, which is the love of Jacob's life. Jacob, or rather Joseph, had one full-blooded brother, which was Benjamin. And then he had ten half-brothers who were born to Leah, Zilpah, and Bilhah. Now, being the son of Jacob, though, now this is the, this is the, the context that's important when it comes through or it comes to Joseph. Because he was the son of Jacob, this meant that Joseph was part of a lineage. Joseph was part of a promise that God made to Abraham many years earlier. Okay? And that's the connection that, 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 that makes, that, that's made here and why this all matters to begin with. The promise that God made to Abraham, without boring you with the details, was really two parts. It was really a land covenant, and it was a descendant covenant. That, that, that God was going to give to Abraham and his descendants a, a land that was, that was promised. That's why it's called the promised land. And then he was also going through the, through the, through the lineage of, of, of Abraham. He's going to bring about a descendant through whom the nations of the world would be blessed. We know in hindsight that that descendant of Abraham was Jesus Christ, born of the tribe of Judah on his mother's side. Now, all of this to say that Joseph was an extension of this covenantal promise. In addition, he was one cog in a wheel of covenantal fulfillment. And this is why his life was significant. Joseph's standing in this lineage explains why God preserved his life and prospered him like he did. Which brings us to our second understanding about Joseph is that he was an instrument in the hands of God. All right? And this is really the, the, the umbrella uh, point about Joseph. Yes, he was the son of Jacob. Yes, he was part of the lineage. But he was also an instrument in the hands of God. In short, Joseph was an extension of the Abrahamic covenant. And because this covenant was unconditional meaning that God was going to fulfill it regardless, God was going to providentially preserve this lineage no matter what. Right? And this came in spite of many of the failings of a lot of the people who were part of this covenantal process. God preserved wicked kings of Israel, for example, so that the lineage, that the covenant would be fulfilled. And this was because God made this promise and he was going to see through completion. And so a summary of Joseph's life could say that he was an instrument in the hands of God. His life was one of providential care from beginning to end. 
It's not about how Joseph was strong and how Joseph was brave on the day of temptation. It's not about those things. It's about how God was faithful to keep his covenant through Joseph. Because we see Joseph's life spared many times in his account. We see the efforts of his enemies thwarted. We see the work of his hands blessed by God. We find him getting or causing favor, God causing favor uh, to Joseph in the eyes of others. And even miraculously, providing the interpretations of dreams to Joseph to advance him throughout the kingdom of Egypt. Now in this capacity, Joseph is a classic case of what happens when God causes opportunities to be used to glorify himself through us. Amen? Let me say that one more time. Joseph's story, and even consequently ours, because we are an extension of the covenantal promise through Jesus Christ, the New Testament. The stories of our lives, the stories of temptation, the stories of the things we face are are, are the stories of what happens when God causes opportunities to be used to glorify himself through us. Now, if we kept that perspective, oftentimes when we are tempted, we give ourselves the advantage on the day of temptation. We understand that this story is not about woe is me. It's not about how much I'm suffering or how much this temptation is eating me up. It's about how faithful God is to you through that and about how it brings him glory. That's the beauty of temptation. But oftentimes we get this backwards and we, we become very introspective. We become very selfish. We become very egocentric. We become very, uh, we become very pitiful. We pity ourselves during our times of temptation rather than seeking God and and honoring him and being obedient to his word and those kinds of things through the temptation so that he is glorified by what we endure. Now, the, the second part of this is literally the outline of the rest of this sermon series. For the next few weeks, we're going to look at the temptations of Joseph and how not only he overcame them, but how God was faithful to him through them and delivered him from them all. The first one, Joseph endured the betrayal of his brothers. Now, if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 30, I think it's 9. No, no, it's Joseph. It's it's chapter 37. There you go. For context, I know you are. I, I see you all flipping through the pages just right now as you're going through. I see that, and I want you to be able to know where you're going. I'm, I'm kidding, of course. Some of you caught that. Anyway, if you go back to Genesis chapter 37, you find the, the narrative, the story, and the temptations of, of, of what Joseph had to endure. The first one is in the first few verses, and that's how the, the betrayal of Joseph by his own brothers. Right? Joseph was born uh, very loved by his father. He was hated, consequently, by his brothers. Uh, he, they, they didn't like, for instance, the, the favor that, that Jacob gave him. Um, he received favor uh, despite uh, the, 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 the disagreement with his brothers. Um, and, and even the dreams that God gave to Joseph of his greatness and how they, were, how they were going to bow to him one day and they were going to serve him and all of those kinds of things, they were repulsed by that. And then when Joseph, or rather Jacob, gave Joseph the coat of many colors and kind of expressed his favor, they, could, they couldn't take it anymore. And so one day when they were out farming or out, out doing their shepherding, 
Jacob sends Joseph out to them uh, to, get the, get, to get word. And while he's out there, they plot to kill him. Now, their first attempt was to throw him in a pit. They thought, you know what, let's, let's throw him in this hole and let's let him die. Uh, and so as they were eating lunch around this hole, they threw him in there and they're eating lunch. They, they, they reconsider. Imagine this, by the way. Right? You've just taken your brother and you've thrown him into a pit so that he'll die. And then you sit and you eat lunch and you talk about it and you're discussing it. This is how, this is how w- wicked this is. And they decided, well, well let's, not, let's not do that. Let's, let's reconsider. And, and then about that time, a caravan comes by and Egyptian traders and they sell him off to Egypt as a slave. Then they conceive a lie. And they tell Rachel and they tell Jacob that he was killed by wild animals. They take his coat, they rip it up, they dip it in goat's blood, and then they, they offer that as evidence that he was destroyed by a wild animal. This is in its worst form. A depth of betrayal that, that, is, that is deep and that is dark. In its practical application, Joseph had to endure that betrayal without bitterness. And we're going to actually catch this on the back end as well. Imagine being sold into slavery by your own brothers, by your own family, by your own blood. Left to be who knows what as a slave in Egypt. Now, I know in its practical sense, you and I can probably sit here and and we can relate this morning. We've probably dealt with betrayal. We've dealt with the bitterness. We've dealt with the pain that comes with it. As people that we've trusted, people that we love betrayed us. Betrayal rips apart relationships. It destroys trust. And if not carefully managed, will consume us with vengeance. And that's why it's such a strong temptation. Joseph endured that. Secondly, Joseph endured lust. If you fast forward to chapter 39 of the book of Genesis, you'll see this encounter that Joseph had with Potiphar's wife. Now, everybody knows this story, but I want to bring it back into remembrance to, to show you or to kind of capture the, the, the constant temptation that Joseph endured in Potiphar's house. Now, day after day after day, Joseph advanced or endured rather constant advances from Potiphar's wife. She looked at him and she said, yeah, he's a pretty good looking guy, and she just pursued him day after day after day. He was a servant in the house and and. and and she tempted him to have an affair with her literally every single day. And Joseph endured that. He endured specifically the temptation of the flesh. And he couldn't have possibly escaped it because he was a slave who served in a house that she commanded. So he couldn't get away. He couldn't run. He couldn't flee. He could have easily given in. I mean, who would have known? Who would have cared? As a, we can bring this fast forward to the modern world, who would have cared if he had an affair? Nobody probably would have looked at him and been like, well, that's old news. A week later, nobody would have cared. But God would have cared. And Joseph knew that. And so Joseph carefully examined his options and chose instead to endure temptation faithfully. His words specifically to her were, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Those were his words to Potiphar's life, to Potiphar's wife. And lust, lust in its pure form is a sin against God. Yes, people consent and they make decisions that affect 
dramatically affect other people, but ultimately yielding to lust is a sin against God. It's a sin that has been common to man since the garden. And we're going to flesh this out in the coming weeks about how, how lust presents itself. Scripture tells us that it presents itself in three ways. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. The allure to have something that is forbidden always presents itself in one of these three ways. Either your eyes are tempted and you see something you say, I want that. Or your flesh is tempted and says, that makes me feel good, I want that. Or it tempts your ego. And it says, this will make me somebody. Now, each of us, as James chapter 1 carefully outlines, each of us is tempted when we are lured away from God and enticed in one of these three ways. When we give in to that sin or that temptation, sin is born. And James says, when sin is fully conceived, it brings forth death. Every single time. Thirdly, Joseph endured false accusations, slander, and character assassination. Now, I included all three of those for dramatic effect. False witness is what the Bible would call it. Amen? Uh, But we don't use false witness anymore, do we? you You bore false witness against me. No, we say things like, no, that's a false accusation. That's slander. That's, a, that's, a, that's character assassination. All of those three things are great summaries or great, uh, great uh, uh, maybe substitutes for the word false witness. Because that's what, that, that's what false witness accomplishes. Joseph endured these false accusations. After Potiphar's wife realized she wasn't going to get what she wanted, she decided to punish him by lying on him. So she falsely accused him of making advances on her and even trying to rape her. She set him up and had him thrown in prison. That's character assassination. That's slander. That's lying. And having one's integrity, having one's own character or reputation maligned by false accusations is devastating. Especially if you've ever been there. Especially if somebody's ever tried to do that about you. And this is especially true when it comes from people in positions of authority who who you have no control over. Especially those who control the means of truth and facts. Joseph, for example, was powerless against the false accusations of Potiphar's wife. She was powerful and she was believable, despite the fact that she was also lying. But this happens all the time. Happens all the time, even in our modern world, and it is despised by God. In fact, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 tells us it's one of the seven things that the Lord hates, that they're an abomination to Him, a lying mouth. But it's extremely difficult uh, to know of your own innocence. It's It's an extremely big burden to bear when you know of your own innocence and yet be at the mercy of accusation. It's exhausting defending yourself, and it's, and it's a never-ending, because how, how do you defend yourself against character assassination? Um, you can be called something, and it becomes very hard to defend yourself against such a thing. 
This is happening all the time. It's especially a powerful weapon that's, that's, that's wielded against Christians today. Even in the social world or in the public square, whatever the case may be. If you disagree and you don't affirm or you don't comply with or whatever, then you are labeled X, Y, and Z. Usually it's racist, homophobic, or bigoted. And how do you defend yourself against such accusations? Oh, I'm not a, I'm not a racist. I'm, I'm not homophobic. I love people. No, you don't, because you don't agree with their lifestyles. Well, that's, that doesn't make me a bigot. Well, yes, it does. And in the court of the public opinion, you're assassinated, and nobody cares. Never get your day in court. Never get your opportunity to defend yourself, which leads us to our next point, which is injustice. Joseph endured injustice. Part of the injustice that Joseph endured was not just the lies leveraged against him, it was the punishment that he received as a result. All right, It was one thing to have his character assassinated. It was one thing to have his name maligned and lied about. But then he was thrown in prison. And if you keep following the story in, in, in chapter 39, you will find in verse 20 that he was thrown into the king's prison, which was a place for the worst criminals. Right? It's a place where they were treated the harshest. And so in Joseph's case, the judicial system failed. Not only did it refuse to hear his side of the case, it punished him for doing something he didn't do. Which was not uncommon, by the way, in the, in the ancient world. Which is why if you go through the book of uh, the Old Testament, you go through the books of the law, this is why God was such a big stickler about the law. It's furthermore why he was such a big stickler about justice and judges. Because he wanted his people to be a people of laws. He wanted them to execute justice... Fairly. And that's why he leaned heavily on the, 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 just, the judges of the, of the Old Testament and the system of laws and the courts, even setting up cities of refuge for people who were falsely accused. Now, it's not hard for us to imagine as a modern Christian how exasperated we often are with the prevalence of injustice in our society today. It should cut at the heart of every Christian Because it it, it goes against the grain of everything we know as faithful people. That that God is a God of laws and that he is a just lawgiver. And he expects his people to be just as well and defend those who fall prey to injustice. Now God's laws are universal. And he is the ultimate judge and the jury of those. But he has given jurisdiction over governments and leaders to punish evil. That is their role in this world. Biblically, that is their capacity. And when they fail to do that, God will execute his own justice where injustice exists. Fourthly, Joseph endured animosity. Now, this is the last point. It kind of takes us back around full circle, which was kind of the point. It's kind of a brilliant design, if I do say so myself. Okay. It wasn't intentional. It was accidental. I didn't catch on to it until I reread it last night. I was like, well, that's pretty clever. That was actually a great way of organizing that. Thank you, Lord, because it wasn't me. I'll just say it that way. How about that? The scripture we read this morning captures this animosity that Joseph had to endure. Um, because it ends, his story rather, ends with the reunion of his brothers. The very brother who sold him and betrayed him from the, from the very get-go. This, of course, after Joseph rose to second in command 
of the entire nation of Egypt. He became its prime minister, second only to Pharaoh himself. He was a a man of power and of great prominence. He overcame so many things to find himself in the blessing of God where he was. So the last temptation that he was going to have to endure was the animosity that he was going to have toward his own family. Now, animosity in its, in its own sense is a very powerful thing. Vengeance is its execution. The administering of justice, the administering of punishment where we see it to be fit. Which, consequently, in Joseph's case, which is why it was such an important thing. It's a very powerful temptation. The desire to enact punishment against those who have wronged you. Or, as we would probably say it today, taking the law into our own hands. This vigilante kind of justice. The scripture clearly outlines that this is forbidden for Christians. We are not to repay evil with evil, are we? We are to repay it with good. Vengeance is mine, thus saith the Lord. We are not to to, to give in to animosity. God has outsourced punishment against evildoers to judges and governments. Yes, in the end, vengeance, however, belongs to God. It is such because he is the only one who is just enough to eternally punish someone for the evil they have caused against others. Consequently, no punishment that a judge or a government could render or administer against an evil person will come close to what the Lord has prepared for those who practice evil upon the earth. But if we're not careful, animosity will give way to vengeance, and vengeance will consume us. When these temptations powerful, we see that Joseph did well. That's the beauty of Joseph's story. The question for us, in its practical sense, is how? Why? Why did Joseph do so well through these temptations? How do we apply this principle of practice in our own personal lives? It brings us to our third point. How was the Lord faithful to Joseph? Because that was the difference. This is the difference. Even as we sang that very song, the presence of God in our lives makes the difference. Because left to our own devices... Temptation will win every single time. It's why sins become besetting. It's why we struggle with one or two specifically ourselves. And we can't seem to overcome them. Because we have to rely on the Lord during these times of temptation. The first point to the Lord's faithfulness was that the Lord was with Joseph. In fact, in in chapter 39 of the book of Genesis, we see this phrase three times. And the Lord was with Joseph. Three times in one chapter, we see the practice of the Lord's presence in the life of Joseph that empowered him to overcome whatever temptation was presented to him. Now this is a lesson for the believer, for us today, that when we are tempted to sin, that the Lord is near to us. He's close. He's nearby. And he's empowering us with his very presence. Amen? This is why worship is such a powerful thing. Because as we worship together and we lift our voices and we join our hearts and our souls, the Lord communes with us in that worship. The Spirit of God engages and he worships with us. 
He can't do that if he's far away. He's near. The Bible said that he's near to us during times of good just as much as he is in times of temptation. Knowing that makes a huge difference in how we resist Satan, especially when he's constantly reminding us of our failures and our shortcomings and our flaws. The modern Christian should take heart concerning the fact that God is near to him or her. Last week, we looked at ways in which God is near to us during times of temptation. When temptation knocks at your door and you open it up, how is the Lord near to you? Well, number one, he's near to you through his word. He's given you everything you need for life, for for godliness and for holiness. The word of God is near. Hide it in your heart so that you might not sin against God. He's given us his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God that came down on Pentecost. And he has dwelt among us since. The great comforter. The great comforter. He's he's empowering us to be sanctified. He's empowering us to become more like Christ through conviction and through leading in righteousness. Thirdly, he's given us the body of Christ. He's given us each other. Amen. And this is why church membership and fellowship is such a big deal. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 tells us that it's even going to be a much bigger deal as we see the day of the Lord approaching. The body of Christ is designed uniquely to minister to people who are found in temptation. And in these ways, the Lord makes himself manifest, giving us the ability to bear whatever temptation is present in our lives. Secondly, the Lord prospered Joseph. Y'all like how I'm going through this really quick? Y'all like that? Oh, that's the best, that's the, that's the best amen I've, I've had the whole sermon. The, the, the truth is, is that not only God is, is he near to, he, his desire, and we have to be very careful with this, by the way, because we live in a, in a culture that when they hear the word prosper, they get all excited right? They get all happy, and they think about health, and they think about wealth, and they think about all of these great things that God is going to do to them because they sowed a seed. But that's not what's being talked about here. That's not what's being discussed, at least in principle, as it pertains to temptation. Because not only was the Lord with Joseph, he prospered everything that Joseph did. Two times in Genesis chapter 39, in verse 2 and in verse 23, the Bible says, And what Joseph did, the Lord caused it to prosper. In fact, verse 2 says, The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. In the next verse, we even see Potiphar recognizing that the Lord was with Joseph, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. Continuing that scripture, we find Joseph causing, or God causing favor to be found in Joseph as he came in contact with Potiphar and the keeper of the prison and even ultimately Pharaoh himself. This is what's called being of good reputation. When you are in the the company and the fellowship of God, when he is near to you and you are abiding in his spirit, then he will cause you to have good reputation. Reputation. He will prosper you through your name. Why? Because you are an extension of him. Now, this is not to say that Joseph's example is our example. Remember, Joseph was a child of the covenant and was thus being used by God to preserve the lineage of Jesus Christ. 
God was using Joseph to preserve the nation of Israel, or Jacob's family, through a major famine, and ultimately would cause them to come into the promised land through Moses. God's plan for Joseph was to prosper him and elevate him to a state of power and prominence in order to do those things. But this was his lot. This was, or there is rather, the principle that applies here for believers, that when we are obedient to the will of God, we will find his blessings and his promises being fulfilled in our very lives. That's not health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. That's the causality of the gospel. That obedience always brings about blessing from God. Faith is what pleases the Lord. It doesn't always come back to us in the form of dollars or anything like that. It always comes back, though, in the form of, of favor with God. And this is what Joseph's story teaches in the modern New Testament believer. Thirdly and lastly. God showed Joseph mercy. So God, or rather Joseph, through the presence of the Lord, endured temptation. Right? And, and, and even through the uh, prosperity or the presence of God, Joseph, his, 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 he, he prospered in the will of God. And he also received mercy from God. And this was, this was the, 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 one of the more beautiful parts of what we find here in verse 21 of chapter 39. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. Now, God's merciful extension of, 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 God's mercy, extension of mercy to Joseph during Joseph's time of, of, of temptation was a response to Joseph's unjust punishment. Now, we know this, or we know the fullness of this, but Scripture tells us that, that even the keeper of the prison gave Joseph privileges that he didn't give to anyone else. So there were literally specific things that happened to Joseph because of the mercy of God. He was thrown into the king's prison. It could have been a whole lot worse for Joseph, and he was there for several years. Imagine finding yourself in jail or in the worst prison that America could, could, could muster up for a crime you didn't commit. God showed Joseph mercy. We know that mercy is the withholding of deserved punishment. In Joseph's case, he was found guilty of making a move on Potiphar's wife when he didn't even do that. Imagine, by the way, first, I love this reflection, too, because we can do this in hindsight. Imagine what her face was when she saw him rise to prime minister. Imagine that. I mean, that's ultimately the last laugh, by the way. That's the irony, if you will, of the way the Lord works in his sovereignty. Yeah, yeah, you know, we could defend our name, and we, can, we, could, we should, and, and all those kinds of things, but sometimes we're at the mercy of injustice, and there's nothing we can do about it. Joseph found himself in that capacity, but God showed him mercy. He was with him, and he prospered him, and he elevated him to a place of prime minister. And Joseph's character and his faith kept him humble. It kept him rooted. It kept him grounded. Mercy was what he received from God. For the believer today, we have have obtained mercy through Christ. We are guilty of breaking the laws of God. And we are destined, in many ways, metaphorically, to the king's prison. A place reserved for fire and darkness. But God 
who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. For the believer, mercy, the mercy of God, changes things in our lives. It removes us from the prison and puts us in the palace. It takes the filth and the stench of sin out of our lives and places new garments on us that are white as snow. And in a judicial way, it removes the the verdict of guilty and it replaces it with a verdict of innocent. This is what mercy did for Joseph. And by extension, this is what mercy has done for us through Christ. Joseph's story is one of temptation, yes, but it's also a, 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 a story of the faithfulness of God. What God does in our lives while we are at the mercy of our flesh. The faithfulness of God who will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we can bear. But with the temptation, he is faithful and always provides a way out so that we can bear it on the day when it arrives. That is the faithfulness of of God. And as we go through these temptations, as we go through each one of these one by one, we're going to look at how God is faithful to us through these temptations. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful this morning for this word. As it comes now to a close, I pray that the preaching of it, Father, that it is blessed, that it does not return unto you void, but that it seeks to accomplish your desire, your will. Father, may it be redemptive, may it be restorative. Father, may it be reflective as we contemplate this morning in our own personal capacities. Father, you've been so good to each one of us. Your your mercy and your grace is constantly extended to us through Christ. Father, we are forever in debt to that mercy. And so, Father, as we try and we strive to be obedient to to the word, Father, that we seek the blessing of you, the favor that you give to us through faith. Father, may we... May we, may we withstand the day of temptation. When it arrives, may you endure, may, may, we, may we be empowered with your, your presence, Father, and your, your ministry in our lives through the presence of the Spirit and the Word. Father, may we be encouraged when we find ourselves in various trials to count it joy, knowing that the trying of our faith produces patience so that we may be complete and lacking nothing. Father, may you be glorified by these words as they come to a close. Father, may... May your will be done according to them. We pray this in Christ's name. And amen. And when all your dreams have fallen.